Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard and this is me old muck of Venus. We're back together, son. How are you? Hi, Bully. Great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. What's occurring? Ah, oh, what's occurring, Luke? Um, I was slightly tempted to do that in a really bad Welsh accent, and then I decided not to. I'm quite, I think I'm glad. Yeah, that was a strange <laughs> one saying what's occurring to someone else other than G, but mate, pleasure to have you on board. So, like we said uh, in our preview pod, we're going to be mixing it up. Um, stepping over the fence, as you as you put it. So mm. this is the first one. It's going to be myself and Tom, and uh, we'll move on to all types of variations, as many as you can, with three people throughout the next three weeks. So um, yeah, here we are. So we, Luke, we're going to talk about the first two stages of the tour. But before we do, um, you're naked, as far as I can see on this call. Certainly from the waist up. Don't know about anything else. You've been racing in Austria. A little update for us. I'm not naked. Um, I got I got a hat on. <laughs> and some headphones. Ah, you gotta after a long day in the saddle, you gotta let them free, haven't you? Um Yeah, so I'm out here in Austria, stage one today. The second most beautiful country I've ever been to. Mm. Um Norway is number one. I think that's still the most breathtaking place, but Austria is bloody lovely. So uh no, it was a good day. We uh quite a testing course. We had uh and it come down to a reduced Group's bunch sprint where we had uh, added a lead out and we had Johnny Varas in second and Kim Hyduck in third. So um, a nice solid first day. We'll take it. And did the Snickers make it on the trip is my f- uh, follow-up question. No, I, I, I saved them for Grand Tours. Um, yeah, try and stay on the regime a little bit. And hopefully I won't spend so much time in the Gruppetto. Um, it's a slightly lower level race. Obviously the Tour is on and anyone who's anyone is at the tour pretty much so slightly lower level race but it's um it's just a five-day stage race and it's ah, to be honest I, I love races like this the, the doors kind of swing open a little bit more um the racing is a bit more open and less you know predictable um so it's, it's yeah it's a great race in a beautiful country with a great bunch of lads so uh yeah, let's whack it and see what happens. Nice. Well, how do you want to play it for our opening weekend of the tour? I'm thinking we almost sort of do it in reverse. We do Sundays first, stage two first, then go back, revisit stage one. Sound like a good plan? I'm happy with that, mate. Let's do it. Right, Luke, shall we start with a few basics just in case some people haven't uh, been across what has happened on the second stage of the tour so this is the second stage 208 kilometers into san sebastian a famous cycling town and uh we probably could have predicted who came third on the stage that was today pogaccia probably could have actually predicted that wout van Aert in second would be in the top three but we probably couldn't have predicted that victor lafay of cofidis would take the stage no and um, i gotta say i absolutely love that i'm a big um I'm a big fan of the underdog, you know, when mm. like everyone loves Van Aert, everyone loves Poggy, two of the standout best riders in the world at the moment. But, um, you know, Victor Lefay was obviously a rocky table. 
Victor Lefay was obviously a um, big underdog. And yeah, if you went to the bookies, you'd have had pretty long odds. So uh, I love that. He timed that attack to perfection. We've seen how strong he was already on stage one. But even then, to win the stage and in the style he did. Um, and we got our stats man on it. It was Kofidis's first win in the Tour de France since 2008. So 15 years. Whoa. That's a long wait. So yeah, big up Kofidis and big up Lefay. I Yeah, I love that. Right, let's talk about how he pulled off his victory and then let's keep rewinding through the stage and sort of work out why other people didn't win, if that makes sense. So he launched with, off the back of that lead group, he launched with about, what, 800 metres to go? Yeah, it was yeah, pretty much under the banner, I think, about a K to go. Um, and I mean, there's not much to say other than it was it was perfectly timed. He came from behind and he came with, you know, a significant amount of speed. Um, obviously, Kelderman was on the front, who was, you know, he's on his hands and knees. He'd already pulled back Bill, uh, Bill Bauer. He'd, you know, ridden on the front pretty much the last 10K. So, you know, Lefay hit it perfect and hit it when a dead man was on the front. So, um, timed it to perfection. The big talking point about the last kilometer is, you know, Wout van Aert was clearly the, the, the fastest in the group. You could, you know, by a long way. He had one teammate left who hadn't ridden, who was fresh, and that was Jonas Vinegard. So the big talking point is, should Vinegard have then committed in the last kilometer? Which, me personally, I think yes. A stage in the tour is 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 too big. And even if it doesn't benefit Vinegard directly, I think in the coming three weeks, he's going to get his fair share of workload out of Wout van Aert and things like that subconsciously go go a long way within a team and um you know but then you know you've playing devil's advocate if he does that Wout van Aert wins Poggy then comes second and gets even more bonus seconds so I can understand both sides of things but I don't see the tour being won by you know two seconds three seconds four seconds 10 20 so for me I would have uh I would have said Vinegar Chase but I see both sides of things I know you like your analogies because we touched on that in our tour preview. The way I'm looking at this, it's a little bit like it's Vinegar's stag do. He doesn't have to buy a drink, but he's found himself at the bar just ahead of his <laughs> mate. Wow. He may as well reach into his pocket. He's going to get loads of drinks bought for him over the course of his stag weekend. Many of them by Wout. But he's at the bar. Just get him a drink. That's a good one. Yeah. They're at the bar. But yeah, Van Art is... He's the wealthy one. There's, on, there's always one wealthy one in there. And he's, he's, the, <laughs> he's the rich one. So, yeah, Vinegar, just get around in for the boys. and Just get around in. Yeah, it's your yeah. stag, but get around Everyone in. Everyone will give him a tap on the back. Oh, you didn't have to, but fucking a legend. Like, yeah, Jaeger bombs as well. Mega. Um, <laughs> but, I, yeah, I think, you know, he is going to be number one domestique in the next three weeks when he's not going for himself. You know, any, any team, they pick one guy as a domestique. We spoke about this before. You pick him. So he's got him as his ally on his side. Ally on his side. That something like that would have gone a long way. Um, so for me, and you've seen him, him doing it in Dauphiné, him leading out in in Dauphiné, and um, you know I think he should have done it. But hey ho, I'm not riding the Tour de France. I'm riding Tour of Austria. So what will be will be. Well, let's let's try and think at it from Vinegar's point of view then. So you can help me work my way through this. If he pulls for Van Aert in that final K, 
the difference to his form, he's not really burning even half a match, is he? In terms of the effort that he's going to need over the three weeks, he's not digging into any supplies that are then going to run empty at a critical stage. Is he in 800 metres? No, I think physically it's not going to add anything. Um, you know, we sometimes in the, a bunch sprint, a GC guy will even be included in the lead out. And you say, right, if you can hit the front with 2k to go um, until a k and a half or k to go, at least you're out of the carnage and you're out of the shit. We, you know, we did it today with Pavel Sivakov in Austria. He was on the front with 2k until 1k to go. And you go, well, yeah, you spend a bit of pennies, but you're in the safest place. You That resulted in Kim and Johnny finishing second and third. And in the days to come, they'll remember that. So, yeah, small talking point there. But, uh, I, yeah, I think if he pulls even for, you know, you talk about 800 metres, if he pulls for 200 metres, 300 metres, that's that's the difference. That's how much Wout van Aert lost the stage by today. So, yeah, there we are. Let's move on. He did look pretty vexed at the end, didn't he, Wout van Aert? There was that sort of, the right hand came up and sort of went down as if he was going to slam the bars and he thought better of it. Because he knew, he knew how tight that was and he knew that probably with, I don't know, 50 metres more road, he's catching Lefay. Yeah, exactly. It was, the road has run out in front of him and it just goes to show whoever you are, whatever your Palmar is, when you finish so close to a stage in the Tour, it just shows how big the race is. You know, Wout van Aert, you name it, he's won it. And he's going to go on to win stages in this year's Tour de France. You know, he's going, it's going to happen. But it's just such a big race and it means so much to everyone. And that's one opportunity missed. And for a guy like him, a second place with a Palmares like he has, you know, if it was me, I'd be celebrating for months a second place on the Tour de France. But when you've got a Palmares <laughs> like Wout van Aert, it's, it's all or nothing. So it just shows how much it meant to him. Um, yeah, close but no cigar. Okay, let's rewind the stage back ever so slightly further because your teammate Tom Pickock had a little dip, didn't he, off the front with about, what, two and a half K to go? Do you reckon, I suppose that's the best tactics for Tom in that situation because he's not going to win a bunch sprint and he's going to try and catch people by surprise. But did that also make any difference to Van Aert's effort? Because there was a little bit of a chase down there, wasn't there? Yeah, Van Aert, you know, he showed how strong he was. He closed multiple gaps, but... I think Tom did the perfect thing. Um, again, he's a guy who's there to win. He could have, he's pretty fast in a sprint. He could have gone right and banking all for the sprint here. I'll, you know, I'll follow Van Aert. I can get second, third, I can get a podium. But he's gone, you know, I'm a, he's, a, he's a winner. That's who he is. That's, that's, uh, that's his mentality. So he knew his opportunity was to attack. And, you know, they were straight on him this time, but all you need is that moment's hesitation, like you see with Lefay, and he's gone. You know, you're on their motorbikes and you're gone. So I think he raced well, he raced smart. I don't think they'd changed much. Um, and actually, it was, a, it was from a team's point of view, it was a pretty promising day, actually. Um, you know, if you 24 hours on, I think after the yesterday stage, they've gone, you know, wasn't the perfect start. We, uh, we had Carlos in the front and the other guys were just behind. But 24 hours later, I think that brings a lot of confidence to the fact we had Egan, Tom and Carlos in that front group, which was pretty select. And they all look pretty comfy on the climb. So, um, yeah, 24 hours later on, I'd say uh, that the team can be pretty optimistic for, for what's to come in the next weeks. Let's talk a little bit more about team tactics here. You can give us some road captain insights, because if we look at the GC, 
After these first two stages, we've got Adam Yates in yellow, and we'll talk about his stage one victory in a moment. We've got Pogacar six seconds back in second. We've got Simon Yates also six seconds back. If we go down to Vinegar, he's in sixth on GC. He's 17 seconds down on Yates, so he is 11 seconds down on Pogacar. So the question that we have been knocking around in the What's Occurring WhatsApp group um, has been the amount of work that Pogacar's UAE team did on the front, bearing in mind this is stage two and the payback they got for those hard yards. What are your thoughts, Road Captain? Right, here we go. I'm going to go on a bit of a rant. <laughs> we, did have, go. we did have a discussion in the WhatsApp group, didn't we? So, like you said, there's the there's the gaps now. It's uh, There's a fag paper between a lot of them, you know? It's them gaps now, I think, will hail of complete insignificance in two and a half weeks' time. So, my take on it and what, what my thoughts, the breakaway went, three guys, no GC guy, you know, in a big grand tour. Um, Paulus, clearly the strongest in the break, but already after yesterday, minutes down. I would have said, okay, we don't ride. Um, and like we said, the Tour de France, every stage is massive. So first of all, I said, right, we don't ride. And straight away, there would have been other teams right. They don't want to, you know, even trek for Mads or, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Jumbo put a man for Wout van Aert. I think every penny you can save throughout every stage, every kilometre adds up. And my fear is they're just investing too heavily too early. It's clear Pogacar, Poggy, has amazing legs. But I just fear he's racing a little bit too much on passion. And, you know, they, they rode with the whole stage and they rode with every rider. You know, systematically, he rides, bam, he rides, bam. For, for what? So they could keep the jersey? Anyway, someone else would have ridden and they would have kept the jersey. Okay, so for what? Bonus seconds. Is burning through your whole team, controlling the whole race. You've seen the face of the opponent. These guys went all in today. On stage two, was that worth it for Poggy to take um, eight seconds bonus on the top, which which Finnegard finished second in, and third on the stage? So, what we're we talking about, a handful of seconds, was it worth it? Investment versus reward. I say it was a bad investment, mate. Um, and I think just it's three weeks long. I think, and you've seen them going over the top, Vinegard and Poggy, just the two of them. And, you know, Poggy flicked his elbow and Vinegar didn't ride. And the fan in me watching on the TV is going, ah, ride with him, you know, ride with him. Two of them go to the final. This is exciting. You know, the two big guys already on stage two, 15K downhill, what will happen? But when I think back to our glory years in the Tour de France and when, when Froome was winning, it was just early days. It wasn't about winning the Tour de France. It was about not losing it. And I fear that, it's just racing too much on passion. And Vinegard is racing very calculated. Um, and I think early days, you've got to be calculated. Every, like I said, every penny you spend now is going to add up. You don't have to win the Tour de France and, you know, grab these. You know, you're taking breadcrumbs at this point. So, yeah, rant kind of over. But <laughs> the UAE, I think, just need to settle the ship a little bit. And if they... Say they didn't ride today and nobody rode and 
Nielsen, Paulus, took the yellow by five minutes. Brilliant. Fantastic. EF got a control. Relax. Yeah, EF got a control yeah. for a week. We haven't got to stick our noses in the wind. We'll, we'll sit tight and EF can have the jersey for a week. Massive for them. They'll keep it for as long as possible. They'll invest everything into keeping that jersey. You know, we had times where we wanted to give the jersey away. You know, let's get a break where, some, where they're going to ride full gas and someone good will take their jersey, but not a big G3 threat. And they'll control for one, two, three, four, however many days. Um, so, you, yeah, just cool the jets a little bit. That's what I'd say. <laughs> I, know I, I know I tried a, an Ashes analogy uh, in the preview pod and found out afterwards you don't watch cricket. So I'm going to switch to a rugby union analogy for this one because you are a Welshman from Cardiff. Um, to me, it's a little bit like it's the first two or three minutes of Wales, England at the Principality. And uh, the scrum half has got the ball off a set piece, deep in his own 22, spins it to fly half. Does the fly half drop his shoulder and try and run it out of his own 22 in the first couple of minutes? Or does he just put his foot through it, send it spiralling into touch? Let's regather. We've got 78 minutes still to play. Kick it, take possession, reset. Exactly. Um, great analogy. These are brilliant. And a sport that <laughs> I kind of understand. So appreciate that. The tennis one when in, in one ear out the other. No, sorry, the cricket one. The Ashes yeah, one. In one yeah. ear out the other. So what do you think UAE were trying to do? Like, Have they made a miscalculation here? Is there anything that we don't know in terms of... Because I suppose you want to keep your GC contender at the front of the race, but they can still do that without riding. Is there anything we're missing here? Is there anything sort of subtext-wise that we need to think about? Or have they just made a miscalculation? Have they just been twitchy? I don't think it would be a miscalculation because, you know, they've been in this position where they've, they've, they've won the tour. They've won every big race. They're one of, you know, you could even argue the best current world tour team. Um, there is. So I don't think they're making miscalculations. I just think it's their way of doing things. Um, you know, we we would be more calculated. Jumbo would be more calculated. There's a lot of Italians in the team. I think it's just a bit more flair, a bit mm. more. You know, it is exciting to watch. You know, Poggy going full gas up the la- up that final climb. It's great to watch. But I think, sadly, a three week Grand Tour has to be more calculated. And um, you know, people might laugh and go, "Well, what does he know? Poggy's won the." He's won the bloody thing already. But, you know, from a fan point, it's great to see Poggy lighting up the last climb and it's great to see, you know, the team racing and going for these bonus seconds. But if you take a step back and put your put your thinking hat on, it just doesn't add up. And I think, like I said, they're just investing heavily. They burn through their whole team. Even Micah on the final climb, you know, your ultimate domestique. He set a ferocious pace at that climb. At that point, there wasn't even anyone in the break. And they were whittling that breakdown, whittling that breakdown. Sorry, whittling the peloton down. And it's just massive investment for day two and for taking minuscule bonus seconds in the big scheme of things. So, I mean, the, the only thing you could say is, you know, they stayed in the front all day. But did Jumbo not do the same thing without riding in the front? Um, okay, they kept the jersey. They want to win the race overall. They're not a team that is bothered. The sponsor loves us because we spent the first week in a jersey. No, it matters where they are standing on the podium in Paris. If they're in the yellow jersey, then that's that's all that matters to a massive team like that. So, 
I don't think we're missing much. I don't think it's much miscalculation. It's just a different way of doing things. And I'll eat my words. If it gets to Paris and, and Poggy wins by four seconds, then I'm going to look like a plank, <laughs> aren't I? But uh, I don't see it coming down to that. Nice. Well, I think this is one of the lovely things about the opening stages in the tour is that all these little subplots are set in motion and you're never quite sure when they're going to pay off or if they're going to pay off, but they're just little storylines that are starting to develop. So should we have a little cheeky ad break here, Luke? And then when we come back, we can talk all about Simon Yates and Adam Yates and stage one. Lovely job. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. So, right, taking it back to stage one of the Tour de France. Um, personally, again, I love that. That was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in the sport of cycling. Nice. Um, I've got a brother, not a twin, but a brother. And I just pinched myself thinking, how amazing would that be rolling in to the finish of stage one in the Tour de France with your brother? Like, it, do, it does not get cooler. Um, I think, you know, uh, the Basque Country did an amazing grand apart. Crowds, crowds were massive. Um, it was a big, it was a big party. I've seen some videos on Twitter and what have you. But um, just a great first day of racing. Um, what, 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 what do you make of the first day? I love it. I love it. It started. I love that when you're at home, you want to watch the whole thing. Um, I thought it was a pretty spectacular first stage, actually thinking back to different ways that you can start the tour. I mean, we all have a prologue. Prologue's good fun. Uh, and we're sort of accustomed and used to a nice big sprint stage, aren't we? I thought this was really interesting, the way it worked out. And then the 80 boys, well, here's what I wanted to ask you about them, because from the outside, there is something unknowable about the Yates boys, because they're quite shy. So when you chat to them from a media perspective, they don't really want to chat to you, which is fine. They're there to be riders. They're not there necessarily to talk to you. And it, it cast my mind back to 2018 when Simon was leading the Giro for so long until through his remarkable escapades on that final Friday. And then obviously the Volta later that year when he, when he won. So we had three British male Grand Tour winners in, in one year. And um, I was at the BBC at the time and we used to speak quite regularly or try and get to interesting people because Simon didn't want to talk and Adam didn't really want to talk, which is fine. And try and find out what they were like. And it was really hard because parents are quite shy as well. And people in Berry are really proud of them, but they were, there was something unknowable about them. So you have had Adam as a teammate. What is he actually like? Do you know what? I'm, um, I am and always have been like, it sounds strange because you're mates with them. Big Yates fans. I just think I, I, I raced with them. When we were, I was on the Academy Under 23 Academy, they were junior and I'd race with them at track league on a Tuesday night. And they just have this certain level of class, don't they? They look great on a bike. They're quite... Yep. They just look classy. Um, light on the pedals. Aren't yeah, they? light on the pedals. The way they ride in the peloton. You know, you see them sitting at the back and then there's a crunch point, right? You need to be in the front here and they're just there. They're just like Houdini. Casually. Yeah, they're just like 
ta-da, and they appear right time, right place. <laughs> um, but they just they just got this certain level of class. And I seen a picture in, on Twitter, and it was of Tour de l'Avenir. I don't know when it would have been, 10, 12 years ago. And it was them winning 1-2. And then next to it, a picture of them 1-2 yesterday. And I mean, it just doesn't get much cooler, does it? You, they ride the baby Tour de France, 1-2. And 10 years later, 1-2 in the first stage of the Tour de France. So, yeah, pretty epic scenes. And, and But to answer your question with Yates, uh, Adam, I was teammates with him last year, and they are quite quiet. They, they like to do their own thing. They're super professional. Um, they know what they want. They're relatively demanding of the team and of other riders. They know what they want, and they have their standards, and they're quite high, which, again, I like. But once you're in the team with with them, they come out of their shell and uh they're actually funny boys really yeah oh yeah i haven't spent i haven't been teammates with simon but they're twins are the same aren't they so adam um yeah he's got a good humor he'll crack a joke he's up for a good time loves a glass of red wine will will only drink red wine put a beer in front of him nah and he walks in red wine what do you want the best He's a bit of a ball. Oh. He's a bit of a baller in that aspect. Yeah, red wine and the best. <laughs> so, uh, not great characters. Nice, and I think for Adam as well because he had that chance of a stage win in 2018, didn't he? When the race was coming into the Pyrenees, and he had that crash, didn't he? On descent, was it stage 16 um, into Bannière de Luchon? Um, and sometimes with with a rider. He's super talented, but sometimes with a rider, you have a moment, don't you? And it works for you or it doesn't work for you. So for him to win that first stage, and there is something special about winning the first stage of a tour, obviously, because you go into yellow. I wondered as well, when they got into that final couple of kilometres, I'm thinking, how's this going to work? Like, does slightly, ever so slightly elder brother have priority here? Does ever so slightly younger twin go, all right, mate, you've had a grand tour, I'm having this. Or are they like most brothers where they just want to beat the shit out of each other? For, for twins that are both so good on the bike, they are quietly competitive. Um, but I think one, one thing that was clear there is massive, massive cohesion straight away. And that's the only reason they succeeded. Probably if it was any two, other two riders, they would have been, well, I'm going to save the legs. I'm going to, I'm going to give 90% here. But you could see from the get-go, bam, right, me and you, bro, let's go. And they barely spoke. You know, they're, they're linked, aren't they? They're like, minds are just like, yes. yes, they're on one. And you could see straight away they were chopping off. There was no hesitation. Um, Yatesy came out and said, he asked on the radio, can he ride? And he got told yes. Um, and then I think it was just a case of, right, last climb. Let's just whack it and see who wins. But yeah, there was certainly cohesion straight away. And it was actually rewinding back. It was, it's a dynamic that is going to be interesting to see played throughout the tour. Because straight away, you know, they were, you were putting pressure on, clearly. They they rode on the climb, you know, Gross Schartner sprinted at the bottom and then they, you know, they rode this inferno pace and whittled the group down. And then Yatesy whacked it again. It was down to five guys. And you could see straight away, as soon as that was that lull, Yatesy come from behind, whack, Vinegar is isolated. So actually what happened last year where it was 2v1, um, Roglic and Vinegard against Poggy it was role reversal and suddenly well we can play that game as well and it was Yatesy and um, Poggy in a group of 5-6 six, 
and only Vinegar on his own. So, you know, they're going, ah, we got, we, you know, we haven't got short memories here. So what they did pretty much to set up and win the tour last year, they got handed back to them this year. So it's early days. And like I said, it's not quite the same because it was also um, clear to see that whilst Jumbo were chasing, they didn't chase with Wout Van Aert. He stayed in the wheels. So it wasn't like complete panic stations. And they said, okay, they can get 10, 20 seconds. That's how confident Vinegard is against against them boys. If it was Poggy up the road, they chased with a full team and throw the kitchen sink at it. But you could see, you know, they, they kept Wow in that group, not riding. So there was only a certain level of fear and danger about the two Yateses in a big three-week Grand Tour. But it was an yeah interesting dynamic. And maybe that's going to come out to play you know, the big mountains, if Yatesy stays close in the GC, you know, what was their Achilles heel last year? Try and turn it on the head and uh, what you can do, we can do better. Oh, nice. Another subplot. Um, should we talk about predictions? Because you, Garant, and me have been trying to call the stage winners and we've gone spectacularly wrong so far. But what I would say in our defence is that we've only had two stages. Do you know what I mean? Plenty of time for us to start calling stage winners correctly for the next two and a half weeks. Uh, but we do need something good this week, don't we? Well, there's 175 blokes. It's not, you know, yeah. it's not easy, is it? So a bit of context, what we're doing here. So myself, Tom, G, we've subcontracted the Plusky into it and um, George, our producer. So it's five of us. And every day we've got to pick the winner. And if that rider finishes... First, three points. Second, two points. Third, one point. And add them up. So I'm on one point because I got Poggy yesterday. G's on two because he had Wout today. And George is also on one with Poggy today. You're on scratch, but mate, still days to come. I'm just very angry with Mathieu van der Poel at this point. Um, I don't know how we're going to mend those bridges over the rest of the tour but you know I've got to put it behind me I think and focus on certainly stage three now are we looking at stage three as being one for the sprinter sprinters because it's a little bit lumpy towards the end so I spoke to Caleb Ewan good mate of mine and he says it's a sprint so so it's going to nice. be the first proper sprint um, and he said yeah today he, you know I messaged him last night I said oh can you pass that climb Speaking about today, he said, no chance. I'm not even going to try. I'm all in stage three. That's a proper sprint. So, yeah, fast men to the fore. Um, you know, will be flipping our guesses from the past two days, different type of riders. Um, so who are you going for, mate? I'm going to say Fabio Jakobsen, which is slightly because I'm still wrapped up in the Netflix documentary and the amazing comeback, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and every time I look at his face and you can literally see the scars of that crash, uh, it rangs at the heartstrings um, because I've tried going on logic. I've tried going on cycling logic for the first two stages and it's done nothing for me. So I'm going to go on pure emotion for this one. How about you? I've got a bit of, uh, I got a bit of head and a bit of heart here and I'm going to go oh. for Caleb Ewan. Um, mm. He has had, by his standards, a slow start to the year. Um, hasn't racked up as many wins as he wants but I've seen the way he's been training the past month he's focused he's determined and these sprinters are just unique people and they can when it comes to the big stage they can step up to the plate so 
I would love to see it happen because he's a good mate. I could also say heart-wise, I could also say Cav, but not tomorrow. Time will come. Um, so I'm back in my mind. Why Caleb. not tomorrow? Why not tomorrow? Um, I don't know. <laughs> no reason. I think uh, I've got to share the love. You know, Cav, Cooley Jets, you can have... You can have uh, <laughs> I will predict you one day. And he is going to win a stage and he is going to take the record. He is the GOAT to sprinting. We love you, Cap. But not tomorrow, mate. Caleb's day. Hi, everyone. Sam Warburton here, and I hope you're enjoying What's Occurring. How would you like to hear a bit more of Luke talking about the fine margins that can make or break a tour victory? You start a race with a bag of sand, and every acceleration you do, every wasted nervous energy is just an extra pinprick. And if you stick enough pinpricks in there, all the sand's going to fall out. Or hear him reflect on when things don't go to plan. It might have been the first time I've said it publicly, but um, it still bugs me, you know. I should have been there. That was a special moment. You know, we paid for it. If track cycling is your thing, what about Sir Chris Hoy breaking down the mindset required to win Olympic gold? I would visualise the perfect race and how it sounded, how it smelled, how it felt, you know, sitting on the start line, hearing the beeps, and that will displace any distracting thought or negative thought or anxious thought. If that sounds like something you'd enjoy, then check out my podcast, Captains. Each week, I sit down to compare notes, swap stories, and share leadership insights with some of the biggest names in sport. It's self-improvement through storytelling. To hear those episodes in full and explore the rest of the back catalogue, just search for Captains with Sam Warburton wherever you get your podcasts. Dion. Radio. So there we have it. Preview of what's going to happen tomorrow on a debrief of stage one, stage two. Mega first two days. And I'm sure tomorrow won't disappoint. I've got a little story about Austria. And I've got a new favorite team. Oh. Yeah, it was brilliant. So at the first hotel, we were sharing with a team called Team Vorlberg. It's an Austrian continental team. And they got this massive bus. I said, what? I was talking to one of the guys. I said, oh, nice bus, that. Like, it's quite big. He was really proud. He said, we got a, a beer tap inside. I said, ah, oh, yeah, good one. Have you bollocks? He said, no, 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 we have. I said, ah, come on. I said, well, all right, let me in. Show me. So I go in the bus and it's... Uh, it's quite nice, decked out, you know, VIP style seats. And in the middle of it, they've got a proper beer tap. <laughs> I said, yeah, but come on, it's not plumbed in. It doesn't work. No, no, it does. Grab yourself a glass. Got a glass. And they've got a fully plumbed in, nice, ice cold, fresh beer tap on their bus. And I said, mate, can I have a contract for next year. <laughs> how cool is how that? would you not how would you not just drink after every stage like how what it's there i mean it's hard enough not to anyway i imagine but if it's literally there i went on holiday once and they had one of those um one of those sort of nice devices where you could just pour yourself endless beers and i think all of us drank about five times as much because it was such a aesthetically pleasing thing to do but also it was so easy <laughs> just to go them all-inclusive beer taps get all of us, don't they? Um, and if you like, if there's a fridge with beers in cans, bottles, it's like, oh, do I want one, do or not? But like that, Got it's just like, oh, I don't even have a full pint. I just have like three quarters of a pint, walk past or put your mouth under it and have a little... That's the one. Yeah. It's the mouth underneath. That's where it would end up because you'd, after a bit, you couldn't find a clean glass and yeah. you know, you'd be having a bit of a laugh and before you know how much I'm actually drinking, I've just had, I don't know, eight swallows. It's fine. But imagine you won a stage. How lit would that be? Right, boys, we've got a two-hour <laughs> transfer. We just won. Let's load up the beer tap, boys. 
I, I thought it was rock and roll. So yeah, Team Vorlberg, chapeau. What does their kit look like? I could see some people wanting to get hold of some of their kit. Uh, they're black and fluo yellow. And um, mm. yeah, if it's an early start in the stage, they'd be the ones not riding in a straight line. <laughs> Um, well before we go Luke a little reminder for all our listeners if you haven't heard yet the GTCC is going on tour this winter pre-sale tickets went on sale on Friday and I'm very pleased to say have sold out very quickly so first of all a big thank you to all of those of you who have purchased but more tickets will be on sale this week if you want to get hold of some click on the link in our episode description to sign up and be notified when they're back on the date, if you haven't heard. We're in London on the 6th of November. We then head directly west to Cardiff on the 7th of November. Um, you don't have to say if you're going to be there or not, Luke. Just give me a nod or a shake of the head, and at least I know. I'll probably be the guest. I've got an analogy here. So oh. Tom and uh, G, yeah, they've lived all their life in a, in a three-bed mid-terrace. Nice place, but... Um, yeah, just your run of your mill house, nice neighborhood, average. And um, they've just booked, they've been saving for years and they've just booked all inclusive five star <laughs> hotel and they're off to Dubai for the weekend. <laughs> You're an analogy man. And it's going to be like that. I like it. And there's going to be a beer tap in the bathroom. <laughs> Get the beers flowing. Right, Mega. One more thing about the tickets before we go general sale starts on Wednesday at 10 a.m. Luke, um, enjoy your Austrian dinner, whatever it may be. Don't walk around the hotel completely naked. Um, I'm sure the Austrians would find uh, some sort of issue with it. And I will see you in a couple of days' time. Mega. Yeah, tomorrow we got myself and G. And one final little snippet that I've just seen in the WhatsApp group. The Plusky has gone Philipson tomorrow. Good shout. Mm. Strong, strong one. But um, yeah, cheers, Tomboy. I'll see you, see you in a few days. Auf Wiedersehen. Ciao. No, tschüss. Ciao, ciao. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.